If you have your Bibles with you, I invite your attention to Matthew, the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 24. We're going to be looking at several different places again in Scripture. Uh, Some of you might immediately say, well, Pastor, I thought we were studying Daniel. Well, we have spent almost 11 weeks in Daniel. We stopped in verse Uh, or in chapter 7, and in the midst of that, we move to the book of Revelation, which is commentary on the book of Daniel in some respects. It delineates and spells it out. And as we're looking at things that are yet to come, it's important for us to look at the words of Jesus as he speaks about things that are yet to come. And so this passage of Scripture, Matthew 24 and 25, often called the Olivet Discourse. And we're going to move back into Daniel chapter 8 and and beyond in the coming weeks. We're going to continue that focus. It's been a great time of study together as we've considered what God has given to us as such a a marvelous gift. And that is pre-written history that all the way back to the days of Daniel, God gave him a glimpse of all of his program for all of the ages right up through the end when he establishes his ultimate kingdom and lives and dwells with his people forever. Well, as we move through the book of Daniel, we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about last things, about things that are to come. And last week, we began a study of why we believe that the church will not go through the tribulation period. And and if I use words in the start of this sermon that you're not familiar with, hang on, we'll walk through it. We're going to delineate yet again what it looks like. We simply believe in our minds and our hearts very pointedly that the Bible describes a, a time of great judgment that's coming. But we believe that the church will be taken out before that judgment happens. Now, Let me just say it this way. I've seen a a cartoon, and I've got a copy in my office, that the pre-tribulation rapture is the hope of every single parent that Jesus Christ will return before their kids become teenagers. Can I get an amen somewhere? If you've been through that stage of your life or if you're facing that, some of you are praying, Lord Jesus, come and come quickly before we move into those teenage years. Well, I want to clarify some things as we did last week. I think it's very important for you to see this, and we'll put the statement hopefully on the screen. It's simply this, that consistent interpretation is the key to clarity. You need to be consistent with your interpretation. While I believe that there are many different views of the end times and exact how things will fit. I don't think God ever intended for us to be able to peg down all of the events, all of the times, all of the places, all of the symbols. Not at all. That was not his intent. His intent was for us to have a great confidence today that we can trust him with our tomorrow. That he is in charge. That he is sovereign. And because God is sovereignly in control, we can have confidence today that no matter what comes our way, he is trustworthy. Amen? So as we think about that, we need to be consistent in our interpretation. And I've shared with you that there are many different views regarding the tribulation period and regarding the rapture. But we're, we're going to land on one and continue as best we can to be consistent with our ideology and our, our interpretation of that. But the Bible points us to a time period uh, of severe tribulation, that there will be a time of seven years uh, the, the likes the world has never seen, a, a time of judgment filled with wrath and God will uh, in those days begin to deal with his people Israel and he will judge uh, wayward uh, Jews and he will judge rebellious Gentiles and we're going to look at that again. There are three primary emphases or or thoughts or trains of thought if you will. One is called the post-tribulation rapturist and very simply this rapture position is growing in number. Some people look at the earth and say maybe we're going through tribulation now. Maybe we're going through such a difficult time now because the, the, the days are getting short and God is coming back. But we know that what we're experiencing now pales in comparison to the description of what is to come in those seven years. But this uh, view of, of Scripture and of the rapture simply means this or says this. Those that are post-tribulationists believe that the church will be taken through this period and then raptured out after that time of judgment. And then there are those that are mid-tribulation rapturists. And very simply, they believe that at a halfway point, some 42 months into this seven years, three and a half years in, and there are verses that they point to that lead them to believe this, that there will be trouble, but then we know that there's going to be 
an intensification after the, the halfway point and there will be great tribulation. The Antichrist is on the rise at that point and at that point many believe that the church will be raptured away. And then there are those that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I hold to this view and uh, many of you do. We believe very simply that the church will be raptured out and that will begin this seven year period of time. That the church will be taken away and the Bible speaks to that. And again, we want to be as consistent as we can. And as we look to Scripture together, I believe that there are a number of reasons. God's Word gives us a, a great deal of information, especially in the book of Revelation. We said last week that Revelation 4 to Revelation 18 really delineates all of the tribulation period. And I mentioned to you last week that 19 times the church is mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. But you come to chapter 4, and from 4 on to 18, not one single time is the church mentioned not once and we believe that the understanding of those chapters is what God is doing here on earth and because of that why would the church be mentioned in God's activity here on earth but that the church is not here on earth chapter 4 it says after these things have happened I heard a voice and I was called away he was called into the very presence of God in heaven you can read Revelation 4 and see that well as we looked at that and saw the absence of that we also looked to the book of Thessalonians the book of Thessalonians said that the tribulation period could not happen until the restraining force was taken away and we shared with you that the restrainer of evil is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit that resides in the hearts of every believer. If you're unfamiliar to Christianity, the Bible says this, that God has made a way for sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. And when we trust him, when we place our faith there and he brings us to a place of eternal life, he gives us that gift, he puts within us the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit acts as a restraining power of evil. Again, can you imagine the world without any Christians in it? If you think about the hospitals and orphanages and all of the good that has happened through stopping of sex trafficking and, and, and the, the care for widows and orphans and feeding and disaster relief, all of the things that we Christians are a part of worldwide, can you imagine what the world would be like without that influence? Well, the Bible says there in 2 Thessalonians that the restraining power will be taken away and then the Antichrist would be Revealed. So we looked at all of those things. We also looked at Revelation 3.10. I want you to jot that down again. That's a good verse for you to look at because it says that God would keep us from the very hour of testing. It doesn't just say he would keep us through testing, but he would preserve us from the hour of testing. So we saw lots of clear arguments that I believe from Scripture point to a picture that the very next event that will happen is that God is going to come back for his church that we believe the imminent return of Jesus is next. Nothing else needs to happen. The world stage seems to be set. There's rumblings and, and growing pains all around us, wars and rumors of wars and famines and all kinds of pestilence. We're gonna see in our passage of Scripture today that description fitting the tribulation, but we already see the shadow casting on the horizon. We can see the stage is set and Jesus Christ is going to come again in the twinkling of an eye he's going to come without notice and we're going to look at this now as we think about it you, you see also in the Old Testament many many characters that fit this pattern of God's deliverance Enoch walked with God and was taken up just before judgment we also saw that with the firstborn of all of Israel when the Passover happened. We saw it in the days of Noah, and we saw it with Rahab in the city of Jericho. All of these people that were protected from the judgment of God. And I believe that that paints a clear picture and a consistent picture that the church will not endure the great tribulation. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, another verse you may want to jot down the reference to, God has not called us to wrath, but to salvation through his son, Jesus 
Christ. You see, the rapture for all intents and purposes is rendered inconsequential if it happens after the tribulation. I mean, think about that. If Christ is coming back, why would he call his saints up then to turn right around? It's almost a yo-yo effect. It makes no sense that he would call us back uh, immediately. And if all believers are raptured and glorified immediately to the, before the inauguration of the kingdom, there's no one left here on earth to populate the kingdom. David Jeremiah said this about the rapture and the tribulation. God's consistency is at stake even in prophetic things. God as a God of grace demands that the church escape the tribulation period. And think about this. This is such a wise thing. The great majority of the church has already escaped tribulation. Why? Because they've died and gone to heaven. And if you think about that, what good purpose at all would there be for a remnant of the church, a small group of believers who are still alive at the time of Christ's return, for him to leave us through and endure this period of tribulation? Besides that, there needs to be some time between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. This is important for you to see. There are not just things going on here on earth. There are things happening in heaven during that period. So here's what's happening on earth. God is judging unbelieving Jews and Gentiles. And on, in heaven, God is judging Christians. Now, not for their salvation, but the Bema seat of Christ. They are standing before God. You say, well, he could do that in an instant pastor it doesn't take a long period of time the bible uniquely says that each and every one of us will stand before the lord and give an account for our lives now as we think about that again my sin was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago and I am not held responsible ultimately for that other than in this that my works will be judged and the Bible says that my works will be tested as though by fire and I may get into heaven smelling like smoke because everything burns up and there's nothing left. There are others that are building with quality materials. You're leading your neighbors to Christ. You're loving and leading your family well. You are expending your resources for the kingdom's cause. And because of the God, God is using that. And you're storing up great treasure in heaven. And I pray that that would be the case for every member of our church. That we would be actively involved in 2020 in serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our hearts and with excitement. Amen? I don't know about you, but I love to serve the Lord because there's such joy, not just from a sense of what I get out of it, but from the sense that I know it's right. And he's done so much for me and he's done so much in me and to me that I just want to give him everything that I have. Now, here's the thought though, that on earth there is judgment happening and in heaven at the Bema seat of Christ, there's judgment happening as well. And it's important for us to understand that all of us will give an account for our lives and then the marriage supper of the lamb will happen. It'll be convened during this time. So, things are happening here on earth, tribulation. Things are happening in heaven. The raptured church is united with Jesus Christ and receiving her reward. Now, I don't want to take anything for granted, so before we get into Matthew chapter 24, let me recap. This is God's program for the end of the age. Those of us who remain at the end of this church age, if we are still alive, when Christ comes in glory to meet his own, we'll be raptured away. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and there we will be with the Lord for how long forever immediately following that event the Bible says that seven years of God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth you can read about it in Revelation 4 and following as bowls are poured out as seals are opened of scrolls that are pronouncing God's judgment on all of the earth so Christians will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ he will reward them on the basis of their works that they've accomplished again it's not a judgment of salvation but a judgment of their labor the rapture will also inaugurate this time that is called the great 
tribulation. Many, many terrible things will happen during that day. At the end of the tribulation period, Christ will come back though. And when he comes again, this second coming or second advent, he will come with his saints, united with Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride, united forever to be together, his head and the body now put together in a very unique way. And here's the thing, if you look at these two things as one event, you will be confused as you read scripture. You need to study these things separately. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus are two similar but separate events. You may want to jot that down. They are similar. Their description is similar. The, the events that will transpire are similar. And we will see from our text that they are uniquely similar, but they are separate. Both of them involve Jesus returning. Both are in time events, but we need to recognize the difference. You see, in summary, the rapture is nothing more, nothing less than the return of Christ in the clouds to remove all believers from the earth before God's wrath. The second coming of Christ is his return to the earth to bring the tribulation to an end and to defeat the Antichrist and his evil world empire. And now I want you to consider the two with me. I'm gonna roll through some things pretty quickly. In the rapture, Jesus comes for his church. However, in the second advent, he comes with his church or with his saints. In the rapture, Christ meets us where? In the air, where does he come at his second advent? On the earth. He will come to the ground. His feet touch the earth. The rapture is the removal of believers from the earth as an act of deliverance. And the second advent includes the removal of unbelievers as an act of judgment. Think about that. One is an act of mercy and grace. The other is an act of God's wrath and judgment that will establish his final authority. And when we take the attributes of one and try to apply it to the other, we'll always get confused. Now, some have said maybe there's this, this sequential period of time where different parts are raptured. No, we believe very pointedly that all the church is raptured at once. In Revelation 4, when John was taken into that scene, he saw 24 elders around the throne, a picture of the disciples and the picture of the tribes of Israel. We see a completed church there before the throne. The bride is not going to be dismembered or disbodied. It will not be disjointed. It will be unified in the rapture. Some people say, well, maybe there are some that will have uh, maybe a, a withholding for a moral reason and have opportunity to get right. No, no, no. The rapture will come. And the Bible says something interesting about some people's arrival. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever arrived somewhere and when you got there, you were disappointed in the destination? Have you? Maybe you were on vacation and, and when you got there, the place that you wanted to eat was closed. Or maybe you got there and, and there was something wrong about that place. There was something that didn't quite happen. I read a story just this week of a police officer in Connecticut and he saw a car that fit the description of a bank robbery getaway car. And so he began to pursue slowly at first and when they got to a red light, the driver sped off. And so a high-speed chase ensued. Well, as he was pursuing and during the chase the suspect made a wrong turn and he turned into the parking lot of McDougal Correctional Institution and he flung the door of the car open and he ran inside and later through interview he understood that to be a mall I don't know about you but I've not seen too many malls that had razor wire around the outside bless his heart he ran straight into the arms of the police there will be some that Scripture says face heaven in a unique way. In fact, write down this, for this reference, 1 John 2, 28. John presents a challenging idea. John basically says this, when we arrive at our eternal destination, some will be disappointed in the result. There are going to be some who are afraid because they did not know Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ, at the timing of these end days, you will be separated forever from love and light. The Bible is clear. All of us are created to exist eternally somewhere. And yet, there are those who place their faith in Jesus who are given eternal life and light. They are in the presence of God the very source of life forever and those that are not a part of his kingdom will be cast into outer darkness 
The Bible says something else there in 1 John 2, 28. Some will not be afraid. They will be ashamed at his coming. They will realize that they have lived worldly, unfruitful lives. In one moment, they will understand uh, with overwhelming sense that whatever they accomplished in life didn't matter apart from that which they did for the Lord. Hardy Street, there are many of us that are just checking off days. There are many of us that are checking off weeks or months or maybe it's spun into decades for you and you've done nothing more, nothing less for the Lord today than to pray and to trust him at Bible school as a child and you've sat on your rear end on these pews and you have done nothing but take up air and the danger of that for all of us is that we are sitting on the premises and not standing on the promises that we find ourselves useless ultimately for the kingdom's sake other than for the glory of God bringing you from death to life and you will stand before the Lord in judgment at the Bema Seat and find that there is nothing in your hands that you've brought to heaven with you. The Bible says that even carnal Christians who are not in fellowship with God that are saved will be raptured on that day but they'll be ashamed. Now, as we consider the tribulation, and we're going to consider end times. We have to come to Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus speaks very, very powerfully about several things that I want us to look at. And let me just give you sort of the setup very quickly. The disciples are asking Jesus questions. This is the very last week of Jesus' life. Jesus here has, uh, knows that he's about to go to the cross, and he's at the temple with his disciples probably on Tuesday of the Passion Week. It's the very last time that Jesus is there in the temple. All right? So if you're in the city of Jerusalem, you know that it's Passover. There are throngs of people that have come. We know that in the mind and the heart of Jesus, he knows alone what he's headed toward. He is headed toward the cross. And so he's going to be talking about important things. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? Amen. So as we think about this, this passage speaks to the preparation of the coming of Christ for the Jewish people. The Jews here are represented by the disciples in their questions. And that's important for you to see. This is a Jewish passage. Now, I don't want you to tune out and say, well, that's for them. It's not for us. But you need to understand what Jesus is and is not saying. Jesus is not talking about the rapture in Matthew 24. Jesus is not talking about the church in Matthew 24. The church was not in existence until Acts 2. We don't see it till later. They had not seen the cross. They would not seen the resurrection. They didn't understand. They just believed Jesus is our Messiah and he is going to establish a kingdom. So they start asking questions. And their questions are represented of Israel and it's not dealing with a church that's not been established yet. It's not dealing with the rapture because that's an unknown thought to them but it's a Jewish passage of scripture. It takes place in Judea and references like verse 20 you'll see in a moment show the, the Jewish nature of the passage as he talks about the Sabbath but the church is not yet in focus. Now when we look at this it's delivered here on the last days of his earthly life and ministry. Let's pick up in verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, or sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when these things are gonna happen. They're walking away from the temple. The temple is everything in their mind, and they look at this beautiful place of worship, this beautiful place filled with the promises of God. God would dwell with us there. We can go make sacrifices and be made right with God there, and Jesus said the whole thing will be destroyed. And they were perplexed. They didn't say a word at that point, but it says a little later, he's sitting up on the Mountain of Olives. If you've ever been there, here's the Temple Mount. You've got the valley that spreads out and the mountain across that valley that overlooks the temple. And Jesus sat there. At the bottom of it, you would see the Garden of Gethsemane, olive trees, a beautiful, beautiful setting. And they said, Lord, when will these things happen? In fact, that's the very first question. When will what happen? The destruction of the temple. When's it going to be destroyed? Question number two, if we go on, they ask, what will be the sign of your return 
And then the last one, when will the end of the age be? So Jesus, when's the temple gonna be destroyed? What will be the sign that you're coming to set up your kingdom? And thirdly, when is all this going to happen? Now, Jesus answers the last two questions, but he doesn't even deal with the first one. The first one we're gonna find happens as a prophecy from Daniel. And he doesn't deal with it because Daniel says there's gonna come a day that the temple will be destroyed. And as they, in their perspective, couldn't see this, in 70 AD, not long after the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the, Rome, uh, the Roman influence would come back to a place of crushing uh, Israel and destroying the temple, and there would be a sacrifice of a pig on the altar there, and the Holy of Holies was desecrated, and Daniel spoke of that, and Jesus doesn't address it here because there's coming a day that a similar event will happen. You see, they saw these prophets these words of Daniel as a mountain peak but there was not one peak there's time between them between Jesus coming at Bethlehem and Jesus coming again in the clouds there's a time period wouldn't you agree we're in it Jesus came and he's coming again would you agree with that if you believe that, then you can begin to see they don't have full understanding. They had read Daniel. They knew that there was coming a, a day that this desolation would come, and they saw it as one event, and they said, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? You're here now, but you're not doing it, so when will you do that? And Jesus begins to answer their questions. And again, he's not speaking of the rapture because they would have known nothing about that. He's not speaking of the church. That's a, a mystery. It's interesting to me that their priority was on the temple. In fact, I want to put a picture up. This is a, a replica of the temple. We, we got to see this back in February. It, it's a, a large, large stone replica that's there at one of the, the major museums in the center of the city. But there are questions, think about this with me, their questions indicated what was more, most important to them. I mean, the temple meant everything. And they, in their minds, said, if the temple is destroyed, surely the end of the age is here. Because how can we survive without the temple? How can we survive without the presence of God? How can we survive without the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies? If the temple is destroyed, as Jesus said, everything's done. And so, really, they're rolling this up into one question. Lord, you said that that's gonna happen. When and how? And they wanted to know. They had a sense of, no sense of understanding that there could be a period of time between the two. Now, the whole issue of Matthew 24 and 25 has ultimately everything to do, well, what will happen just before the kingdom? What is their question? Lord, what will be the sign of your coming to establish your kingdom? We've already said we believe that the very next thing that will happen is what? The rapture. We will be raptured out as a church. And then these things that Jesus describes will begin to happen. They are the things directly before his coming. He's delineating the general signs of his coming. Pick up with me in verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors or threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated from... Uh, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And look at this. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and the end will come. So in other words, Jesus says, you wanted to know what was going to happen at the time of my kingdom? I'm telling you what it's going to be like. Look at verse 15. He continues to answer the question. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay 
attention. That's the very words of Daniel. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible will it be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days? And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began. And it will be never so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you ahead of time so if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go out and look. Or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Look at this with me, verse 28. So the gathering of vultures shows that the carcass is nearby, so these signs indicate the end is near. Now, all of the details of this event are spelled out in Revelation 4 to 18. It is the tribulation. He's talking about everything that will happen just before the kingdom. What's the next thing that will happen? Help me out, church. Rapture. It is an imminent return. Jesus is coming back in the twinkling of an eye. We do not know. The shout will happen, the trumpet sound of God, the voice of the archangel, and we will be taken out. What Jesus is not teaching is what will happen before the rapture he's not saying this is a description of now he's saying this will happen then this will happen in those days you see the bible teaches that there will be a gathering of the elect before the kingdom and the mention here is that there's no mention of resurrection this has nothing of an earmark of the rapture at all it's all about the kingdom now if we go a little further I don't want to ruin this for you because I've heard some great preaching about this next passage. In fact, I've seen a lot of people get saved. I've seen students at youth camp get saved because somebody preached verses 40 and 41. I've, I've heard incredible things. Look at it with me. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be what? Taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding at the flour mill. One will be, and the other will be, so too you must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Oh, I've heard preachers, you can hear it in your mind. There's a day you'll be driving down the road and you'll look over to your wife who is a believer and you're not and one moment she's there and the next she's gone. And there will be a moment where a preschool teacher there at the preschool is watching over the playground and one minute they're all there and the next minute, gone. And there will be those that are flying airplanes that know the Lord and all of a sudden they're gone and those inside are left in a lurch. And all of the pictures of all of the rapture, I've heard people preach and yet Jesus is not preaching about the rapture. I'm sorry if I messed it up. Thanks a lot, pastor. You blew it. You've just messed it. I got saved because somebody preached that. Well, let me help you understand. I said that these two events are similar but separate. The coming of the Lord in this way is very unique. That word taken is very interesting. How are they taken? Not that they are raptured and snatched up. They are taken in judgment. They are swept away in judgment. It is the same phrase used in the book of Genesis for those outside the ark. They are taken in judgment. It's the same phrase that John used to describe Jesus being taken to the cross. Hello. What a powerful picture. In that day, judgment will come and one will immediately and swiftly find the wrath and retribution of God because they have turned themselves away from him. They have not believed. They've denied the faith. They've denied the Lord and they will be swallowed up in judgment. I don't know about you, but I wonder if people who are not saved really, I mean truly, give any consideration to these things what life will be like after the rapture 
Maybe you're at home watching or maybe you're, you're tuning in somewhere with us or maybe those of you that are here that don't know the Lord really just ponder these things and you say, you know, it sounds like fairy tale. It seems so strange and yet there's so much that's beyond your control and deep down in your heart and your life and your soul, you know that there is something that says within your mind, something greater than me had to create all of this. Something greater than me had to put this into motion and if this is an accurate record of that one and it gives me detailed information about this loving God who cared enough about me not only to save me but to warn me of what is to come I might ought to pay attention but I just wonder can you imagine flying in an airplane piloted by a Christian at the time of the rapture or maybe a Christian surgeon midway through surgery the Bible teaches that the rapture will be just like that and yet here this is not the rapture look back to verse 36 with me however no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen not even the angels in heaven or the son of man only the father knows when the son of man returns it will be like it was in Noah's day in those days before the flood the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and there's that word and swept them all away it's they were taken they were taken in judgment that's the way it will be when the son of man comes let me give you a parallel passage in Luke 17 that night two people will be asleep in one bed one will be taken the other left two women grinding flour at the mill one will be taken the other left where will this happen Lord the disciples ask where will they be taken they will be taken in judgment all of the events of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are in this seven year period immediately preceding the establishment of the kingdom of God now, let me give you one more thought, and we're going to draw this toward conclusion. Jesus uses an amazing parable, an analogy, if you will, that will help us today to understand this. Look with me, if you will, in verse 32 and 33. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. By the way, I just Jesus was so practical. I imagine that they're sitting up on the Mount of Olives, and he points to a fig tree. He just points toward it. He says, let, let me teach you a lesson. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear or pass away, but my words will never disappear. The Bible does not tell us exactly the times and the seasons, but we can know when a season approaches I remember talking to my grandfather and he would give us little clues to say you know what when this happens you know winter's coming when this happens you know spring is coming well the idea he says as he points to this budding tree he says when the, the, the branches begin to bud you know that summer is coming L let me give you a powerful principle of Bible interpretation this is worth everybody writing down you ready write this down this is a powerful powerful principle to interpreting end times coming events cast their shadows before them Coming events cast their shadows before them. I've told you this several times even today. There are no events that need to happen for Jesus to return in the air and to rapture out his church. Not one. There's no sign that needs to happen. His return is imminent. As you study the affairs of man, though, and as you study the scriptures, and as you look carefully through understanding these things that we've looked at in Revelation and in Daniel, you begin to see that before things are in full bloom, we're seeing the setting of the stage. We're seeing that redemption is near. Before those things happen, we will be taken out, but their very presence on the horizon casts a shadow to where we are. And we could look at any of these signs, famines, wars, rumors of wars, have we seen those things begin? Yes or no? You realize that, let's just take one, famine. Do you realize that we're coming to a cataclysmic day where the resources of earth are being expended at more and more rapid rate? There is famine that's happening in lots of other places, and now, even in our lifetime, we're seeing it hit home here in America. 
It's kind of unique. From creation till 1850, they say it took that length of time. It took basically all of recorded history up till 1850 to reach 1 billion people in population on the planet. From 1850 to 1930, only 80 years or so, we reached 2 billion. It only took about 31 years because in 1961, we reached 3 billion. We continue to move on from there and, and we get to the place by 1976, only 15 years later, we were at 4B and we're now at approaching 8 billion people. At the growth rate that we're on, they say that 900 years from now, there would be roughly 100 people per square yard of every land, earth, and sea available on all the planet. You say, that can't happen. Something's got to give. You're right. And something will give. I'm not an alarmist. I'm not speaking those things to try to scare anybody out of or into anything. I'm just trying to present truth. And population explosion means that something's got to give. The Lord is coming soon. It's casting a shadow over where we are right now. Are there wars and rumors of wars happening in various parts of the earth? Anybody thought about pestilence in a new way this year? than ever before there are pandemic plagues future events cast shadows the Lord's coming soon I'll wrap this up but I want you to think with me for a minute most people that don't know the Lord don't care anything about what I've preached for the last 30 minutes Maybe you're that way. Maybe you're going to go about your day and say, I don't care. I've got a ball game to watch. I've got lunch to eat. I've got homework assignments to do. I've got work deadlines this week. I've got laundry to wash. I don't care about what's going to happen then. In fact, it's interesting to think when you repress or suppress something, a man named John Powell said this, when you don't want to listen to or live with something, you bury the problem alive. The problem is it remains alive and active in your heart. It's not gone. And so it's no wonder that many of us are tired. It's no wonder that people are caught up on a treadmill of their own existence because they're simply trying to keep from coming apart at the seams. I know people like that. They're so over-leveraged and over-financed and they're trying to keep up with the Joneses next door and about the time they catch up with the Joneses, the Joneses refinance. Start over. Get ahead. And the tragedy is that there are some in the sound of my voice that are saying, you know what, I, I can't even fathom the thought of those things. And maybe depression or suicide is in the hearts and the minds of people here today. I want to tell you that Jesus has come to give you life. Jesus has come to rescue you and redeem you from that pit. You see, prophecy gives us perspective on the future and a certain knowledge that Jesus in his sovereignty and in his control has it all in his hand. And now for 2,800 years, we've got pre-written history given to us through Daniel and through the words of Jesus, a picture of what life is going to look like just prior to the coming of the kingdom. And the word of God has given to us a beautiful picture that we will be taken up and taken out. He might come today. Jesus might very well come today and you can live rejoicing today, even in the midst of pandemic, that Jesus might come today. And if he does not, you can get up tomorrow and thank him for the opportunity to glorify him through the way you live and the interactions that you have with others. Jesus is coming soon let me say that again and we'll close say it with me Jesus is coming soon let's say it one more time Jesus is coming soon you ought to say that with a smile on your face and joy in your heart unless you don't know him and if you've never met him as savior then one day you'll face him as judge so I would say today why don't you just bow before him and say Lord I surrender I'll wave the white flag and I'll trust you with my life. I'm gonna ask our instrumentalists to come and as they come and they're making their way here, we also have prayer partners. They will station themselves toward the side. If you need to speak to any of them or to me and you wanna talk about what it means to have a relationship with God, we'd love to share with you that need. We would love to share with you from God's word the very simple act 
of placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving eternal life. Maybe you just need to come and pray. We invited you last week and many took advantage of that. There are places that you can come use this front pew as a makeshift altar and just pray and do business with God. Jesus is coming soon and I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be ready. I want to be serving him. I want to be living for him and looking for him and longing for him to come. And I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Do business with your people even now. Draw them out from death to life. Father, save those that would place their faith in you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.